No one can do things in first go. You will find it so nervous and annoying, or oh, I don't know what to do. But it's really the practice. That's why I want people to go put themselves in more uncomfortable situation. The more you do it, you get used to it. One day, it will come. Konnichiwa, minasan. Business Success Japan no podcast e yokuso. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Business Success Japan podcast. This is your host, Lydia Buchelman. This podcast is made for those who want to develop or strengthen the communication skills, cultural savvy, insights into current trends and conditions, and mindsets that are essential in a Japanese business environment. The helpful, practical suggestions and engaging insights offered here provide listeners with the in depth cultural context needed to achieve their own version of success while collaborating with Japanese counterparts. In today's episode, I'm chatting with Rie Eichmann, a global sales and mindset coach, intercultural trainer, and consultant who is passionate about teaching a global mindset to professionals and the next generation to give them the confidence and skills for success in an increasingly globalized world. While Rie is a native of Japan, she is currently based in Brisbane, Australia, and has years of experience living and working abroad in the UK, Taiwan, Thailand, and the United States. But before we get into the episode, let's go over a little bit of Japanese. In the previous episode, we learned the word tokte gino. Tokte gino. Tokte gino. This term is actually a compound of two words tokte, meaning designated, and gino, which means skill. This isn't a word that's necessarily used alone or in conversation. But it's relevant to many foreigners who want to come to work in Japan on the Tokte Gino Visa, which is a visa designated for people who want to come to Japan who have specific in demand skills. If you're curious and want to learn more, be sure to listen back to my previous episode with Austin Zay. In this episode, I want to introduce a term Rie mentions that highlight a core dynamic in Japanese culture Uchi Soto. Uchi Soto. Uchi soto. You may already be familiar with the concept of in-group, which is uchi here, versus out-group, or soto, in Japanese culture. I don't want to go too in-depth here, but this term points out the sharp contrast in how people are viewed as either inside or outside of a group, depending on the context, and how they are treated differently based on that categorization. This is especially distinct, and also baffling for foreigners, when it comes to the use of keigo, or formal Japanese. For example, you would, naturally, speak very politely to or about your CEO within the company because they are relatively higher than you in the hierarchy. When speaking to a client outside of your company, however, you would use humble forms when speaking about that same CEO, since at that point, you are speaking to someone outside of your group about someone in your group. While this likely exists to an extent in pretty much all cultures, as far as I know, it is especially strong and ritualized in Japanese culture, so it's an important dynamic to be aware of. I'm really excited for this conversation. Could you please introduce yourself to my audience to get started? Sure. Hi,、um, my name is Rie Eichmann. I am originally from Tokyo, Japan. It is my honor to be here today. Thank you for having me, Lydia.、Um, I have studied and worked in both East and West s i d e of the world, including Taiwan, Thailand, US, and UK. And now I'm based in Brisbane, Australia. Yeah. So, what is the work that you're doing in Australia right now? So, 
as you know, everything is kind of turned into online. So I used to do physical, cross-cultural, intercultural training physically, but nowadays I have to really do everything online. So I do teach uh, Japanese university students, teach them global skills and some online executive coaching and mentoring. And I'm kind of trying to develop this Globalize Yourself program to help people uh, learn how to be you know, a global person. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. Could you tell me a little bit more about the work that you do with college students in Japan? Sure. Um, you know, I've been away or living abroad and I've always seen a lot of Japanese students. They come to UK, come to Australia, just studying English, right? And then I always thought, well, you spend a lot of money and time and effort going up going to abroad and study but you can do this in your own country and i want to help young people to learn something you know more relatable something that the skills that they can use so they can build network or meet people and do something collaboration or whatever i want to teach that kind of skill using english so I want them to learn English as a tool, not just a purpose, but use it and be more, you know, global person. So that that's my idea. Mm -hmm. That definitely makes a lot of sense. Just moving on to our next topic. Could you please share a little bit about what in your experience as an intercultural communication instructor, you think are the most important skills or mindsets for people to have who want to work specifically in a Japanese context. Right. I think it's kind of comes to, you know, a little bit global context as well. But the most important thing is really open mindedness. And this skill can be learned because it's all about when you, you know, when you go abroad or working with people from different cultural background, Everything is so different. The way they talk, the way they think, the way they work is so different. And these things will make you so frustrated if you don't understand, right? And you just instantly, oh, why they don't understand me? Why they, you know, do this way? And all this frustration will get to you, especially if you're working abroad or even remote meeting, right? But the important skill is open-mindedness. So what does it mean? Is that don't be judgmental using your own rules or checklist and just be aware of the difference when you're working with different cultural background people. And you said that it's possible to develop that sort of open-mindedness, but yeah. how does somebody do that? Because if you speak just to people, they tend to think about open-mindedness as a inherent quality in someone rather than something that can be developed. Really? <laughs> wow. Um, yeah, I always think it's, it's doable. It's definitely, that's why I want to encourage people to go abroad because that will open up your eyes, right? You just put yourself into somewhere completely, completely different. And that will smack you. And wow, <laughs> what's this world? I don't know anything. And imagine put yourself into somewhere. They don't speak your language. 
that will teach you a lot, you know? And it's just once you experience this kind of difference, you will understand, you know, how other people feel. So open-mindedness is about you don't need to actually so i do encourage people to go go abroad that's the quicker way quickest way easy way but if that is difficult like now you know with covid we can't really travel easily you can still do that by meeting different generations you know like if you're young people talk to you know older people or elderly people or if you're in a city go to countryside Everyone has such a different mindset or values and when you communicate people communicate with people have different you know way of thinking it's always challenging and i think that's also you know the more you practice the more you know you get better so yeah i would recommend that yeah definitely viewing it as practice is a very important thing because especially for people who are going abroad for the first time who may have lived in a very monocultural area. I feel like it can be really easy to get burnt out. Yeah. And to kind of retreat back to where you were before. So, having a growth mindset would probably be an important mm-hmm. way to go into going into a new country, definitely. Yeah. So, from the perspective of someone whose first culture is Japan, in your opinion, what are the most common challenges that you or others tend to face when communicating with non-Japanese people who maybe don't understand a lot of the same assumptions that that cultural context holds? Oh, there's a lot. <laughs> it is so hard as Japanese people to work with, let's say, non-Japanese. But I think we, with this context, we, let's say, talk about more Western English-speaking people, right? It is, first of all, very hard to communicate for Japanese people because first, the language barrier, it's obvious, but it's not just language. Even let's say when you, as a Western people, English speaking people meeting Japanese people, if you think they speak English, but the thought behind that is not the same as you think they do. So as Japanese, I always found at the beginning of when I moved to maybe UK, I struggled about being precise. I have to explain a lot of things in details. <laughs> I was just hoping, why? Why you don't understand me? I think I'm like, you know, giving you enough hints. And English people, English speaking people will say, well, you know, they don't really understand much. So that's a big gap of the language, the detail, the precise communication that English speakers, you know, expecting versus in Japan, we have this phrase called kuki o yomu, read atmosphere or aun no kokyu. You know, like if someone say, ah, the other person will understand, mm, you know, that's like a teamwork, amazing. And I'm hoping other people do the same too, right? But if you just, you know, move to, other countries not everyone doing that way so that was at the beginning i think it was challenging for me and i assume a lot of japanese people to speak up about their you know thoughts ideas precisely verbally is quite challenging because we didn't you know um in japanese education system we kind of tend to listen a lot 
respect what teacher saying. So that is why I think it was challenging for us. That makes a lot of sense. So from a Western perspective, if you are working with a Japanese person for the first time, what do you think are some of those cues <laughs> that people should be looking out for? Those hints that we just aren't attuned from a young age to pick up on and interpret. Right. So the, you know, the biggest advice is just to be aware that they are, you know, if you're English speaking person speaking to Japanese, just to remember when Japanese people speaking English, that means they're matching their communication style for you, right? That is not their native language. So need to be patient and do not take the face value of what they say. That's a bit tricky, you know, statement, but so many times that uh, English people speaking, English speaking people will say, oh yeah, Japanese people say yes, yes, yes. At the end, Japanese people don't really mean it. I don't understand why. So many times it happens. Yes, we do say yes, even we just disagree, right? Don't take it literally as what Japanese people say because there's the, you know, the way we communicate is different. And so, yeah, the advice is be patient, try to understand, have empathy about they're trying to communicate with you. So if you could also show that attitude that you're trying to understand, try to build the trust by even, you know, little things, learn some Japanese or, you know, understand their culture, that little thing will make a huge difference. So yeah, I think patience, empathy, that's quite important. Mm -hmm. And what's great about that is if you develop those skills in a Japanese context, obviously that will help you when you encounter different cultures in the future. Yeah. Well, and just different people because everybody's context is different. As you said, generational differences can also be large. So transferable skills for your entire life. Mm. So as you said before about having to say everything very clearly, having to be very forthright with what you're trying to express. Since Japan is considered a high context culture where if you say very little, people can kind of intuit what the other person means, just kind of based on shared experiences, based on shared assumptions. While in the US, for example, and England as well, we're very low context. So we have to say everything very explicitly. You can even see it in the language where we always have to say the topic of the sentence, whereas in Japanese, you can drop it once both parties understand. So do you have any specific advice for people who want to grow that sort of cultural competence, but they're just having a hard time learning how to pick up on those rules that are unspoken in Japan? Well, um, I would say, it's, you know, quite hard to imagine for low context people to imagine what's it, what it's like, right? Because it's unspoken. It's, un it's invisible. How do I know when they think this way or that way? You know, the only way is you kind of get the response from that person. But what do you do when you don't get that? That's the challenging thing for English speaking, you know, people in US or people in the UK. Um, I think you just need to adapt yourself in terms of the speed. 
because a lot of times maybe that's also coming to the way or the English versus Japanese the language as well like Lydia you mentioned that you know if you speak English you kind of have conclusion at the beginning but when you're talking to Japanese they will build up oh the background is this hence so you know for English manager you go so is it good news or bad news I don't really know how long do I need to listen to your story and find out so that could be your stress but you just need to be aware of that and it's not just like one person has to learn the other way or match the other person it should be both ways so it's really helpful for the manager to know this is how Japanese people work and for me um, I think if you can take your time and focus on building the relationships because that's a quite big key that you know secret to to get the real meaning or opinion from Japanese because we have I'm sure um, you know some other experts on your podcast in the past have mentioned about like honne tatemai you know Japanese people wouldn't show the honest feeling or opinion in the first meeting so you need to build up the relationship so just assume it will take time but you will get there if you show your you know um, attitude that you want to build the good relationships with them you teach a lot about global mindsets. You help your students and clients develop global mindsets. How would you define that term? What does that mean to you? Okay, so global skills and global mindset. I really truly believe this skill is so important more than ever because now everybody's working remotely online and basically well, nowadays, like, you know, you, you have virtual office environment, you can put your avatar online and you can meet, do work, you know, like basically borderless. And for me, I define global person or global skill is that the skill you can gain and you can work anywhere in the world, not just your home country. So it's not only the language. But also the mindset is to understand how other people work. Doesn't matter specifically Japanese or American or English, but if you're flexible and curious and open-minded, you can do so many things with amazing people anywhere in the world. You know, nowadays we collaborate like us now. You know, you're in America, I'm in Australia. If you spot amazing people and you want to work with them, you need to build the trust. You want to work with someone who understands you and not just holding on to the way they work, right? So for me, for those people who have global mindset, is very considerate, have empathy and willing to elicit the best out of the other person. So I think it's truly important, especially even for our next generation, they will be working or competing or I don't know, there will be more AI robots that will be appearing and you need, you know, one job globally, you know, if you have engineering job posted, anyone can apply for that. Doesn't matter you're in US or UK, Africa, everybody can, you know, do this because the infrastructure is, you know, 
here already so you need to be different you need to be creative and you need to be able to work with anyone in the world so that's why i believe that global mindset is so important these days i definitely agree with that but a trend that i do see with certain people it's nothing new but there does seem to be a mindset where as technology improves things like automated translation improve a lot of people refer to use used to kind of talk about american business culture now people more commonly say western now people even just refer to it as international business culture or global business culture and kind of the assumption is that everyone should just learn global business culture and then we won't have any problems understanding each other do you have any thoughts about that idea that's very interesting idea you know i love talking about this it's just like you know the beauty of meeting people you know collaborating you learn about you know different ideas and so what you were mentioning is is you know everybody's kind of tend to do international and global thing and does it fix that will help but still that will help only if you know the specific either western or japanese thing because you can't just have global thing without this base foundation that's how i see it is now i work with like a global company everybody communicating in slack and all this modern thing and you can't really see who's where but you still need to build a relationship in between right that's people and people and if you know let's say if you're dealing with people in malaysia you want to respect their culture right oh they do this that and then if you're working with japanese this is how they do things and still that's really the individual country specific information will be so useful to have so yes to answer your question yeah global is important but also it has to be have the base of the foundation of the knowledge of the people you're going to work with so what do you think people can do to try to develop this global mindset is it a matter of having open mindedness empathy or would how much importance would you place on people actively studying and learning about the cultures and the traditions of the people that they will be working with who are from other cultural contexts right you know like after all i have taught a lot of intercultural training or i have met a lot of japanese people try to you know learn english and i myself learn you know english when at the beginning when i started my english was terrible <laughs> and i remember people couldn't understand my english and you know when i call up people go i don't understand you and i i kind of understand the language is also very very important and if that you know what you learn you remember maybe very little after you listen or read until you do it so i think the action is really important it's good it's good to learn and understand the world but it's kind of wasting if you're not using it as language 
Same as, you know, all the books you read, you need to do it and apply. And that's why, you know, for me, global mindset or skills is like also, it has to come with the action, what you want to achieve, how you will improve or, you know, put yourself beyond your comfort zone. And that is, you know, very important while you're learning the specific country, specific information. Okay, so how can you apply to yourself? when next time you actually meet Japanese people or Malaysian people or try to apply and do it part is really important. And we can all do that nowadays easily by collaborating, you know, people, if you're interested in a specific country or culture, you can meet them online, do some events together, do some podcasts together and then get to know and you confirm, yeah, that was right. It works. Or, oh, I thought this works. I, this is how, you know, what I read, but it didn't work. So it's all up to you and it's everybody's different, as you mentioned, right? So you also have to have your formula to approach. And that's the key. The action and application of your knowledge is very important. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And I just kind of want to insert something here where a lot of the students I had really wanted to do things perfectly, wanted to apply mm. things perfectly when they interacted with Japanese people next time. But I just felt like it was important to express to them that these are tools. It's not a performance. It's something that you use to try to build relationships, but it's not like a pass-fail situation. You're using it in order to ultimately build relationships. It's not the end goal in itself as as fun as it is to learn about culture the goal is the person that you're interacting with on the other side indeed yeah it's interesting to know that you know your students also saying that thing because you know a lot of japanese are very perfectionist too and they're so afraid of speaking english and you know so for me i always say that you need to remember you're learning second language there's so many people don't speak any other language apart from their, you know, mother tongue, right? So just appreciate the fact that, oh, I'm doing amazing because I'm learning second language. So just always, you know, pat your shoulder and yes, I'm doing great. And yeah, I also always want to encourage Japanese people to be afraid of trying because I learned so many different languages. I lived in Thailand, so I didn't know any Thai when I got there. And, you know, it's quite foreign language. Imagine nothing. It doesn't really sound similar to any language I know, like, you know, Japanese. But I learned Thai by just listening and, you know, talking with local masseuse and taxi drivers. And they're my, you know, Thai teacher. And I always say that, you know, in terms of language, the people who improve the language is that the amount of time you feel embarrassed, not being heard properly, not being understood and you have that thick facial skin to not to care then you will get to the next level because if you're just oh afraid i need to speak perfect japanese or english you don't go forward than where you are you have to you have to keep trying and practice you know so yeah that's really important mindset as well mm-hmm and that definitely resonates with my own journey learning Japanese because my major was Japanese in college. And at least one of my 
Japanese teachers would literally write down every time that you made a mistake and then take points off based on how many mistakes you made in the class. So <laughs> yes, being careful to see things in a perspective of what you are accomplishing versus how you're failing is just a very important way to avoid burning out, not only with language learning, but also with learning about culture, with building relationships. It's just such a core part of finding success abroad, especially. Indeed, because at the end, you want to be the person, it's quite universal, but you want to be the person that someone will remember and someone want to work with you. Oh, I know this person, you know, it's about the likability as well. And you, you have different likability in, you know, based on your culture. That's another hard part. I find that when I went to UK, so many people like to use sarcasm. Do you do that, Didia? <laughs> I am a very sarcastic person. So you are? Oh, yes. no. <laughs> <laughs> That's so annoying. I'm sorry for yeah. Japanese people. Yes, I know. <laughs> so, you know, in, in UK, oh, so many people just use yeah. as default. And I always, you know, believe, oh, really? No, of course not. <laughs> So it took me a couple years to understand the black humor and sarcasm. Why people just talk, you know, like even the humor is so different. I used to love American more friends style, straightforward, funny, you know, but after I lived in UK, I kind of enjoy the sarcastic, funny, you know, humor as well, because I get it now. But for Japanese people, non-native people to understand that is so challenging to, you know, really next level to understand or be in that environment. So, yeah, I remember. And then, you know, the, the thing is, so talking about the global, you know, like working or working with different culture is that imagine if you're in US or in UK, if you can reply in a witty way with sarcasm, you go, oh, this person is nice. Or if you can do good banter, yeah, you get the extra points from that, right? But Japanese people are not used to that. And I just feel sorry for, you know, Japanese. We don't have place to practice sarcasm. But it's, yeah, that's why, yeah, I always think, hmm, a lot of things that you need to know when you go to specific country. So now I know, you know, in UK, don't believe whatever people saying. <laughs> there could be just sarcasm. You know, you need a practice as well. That is a very good point that I don't think has been brought up yet is just be aware that sarcasm does not necessarily translate into other cultures or languages, especially yeah. Japanese which is right. tough for me because my whole sense of humor basically relies on sarcasm and dark humor. So <laughs> I guess I have to find my, a different personality or persona in Japan if I want to try to be yeah. ready. <laughs> need to swap switch your persona. Mm. Definitely. So is there anything that you can tell us about what it takes to be likable in Japan? I know that it depends on who you're interacting with because everybody is different. But like you said, in the UK, if you can have a witty retort when you're having a conversation with someone that will generally make you a more likable person. Are there any equivalents in Japanese culture? 
as long as you kind of, you know, show the interest about the culture. And I think、uh, most of the time,、uh, people come to Japan, they're already open minded enough and they love Japan most of the time. But maybe it's different when you're doing business. You know, sometimes you kind of you're not interested in, but you kind of need to learn. But yeah, I think it's really aware of your、um, communication style to begin with. That's why I think a lot of, you know, cultural training is useful because you don't really think about this. In normal you know, world when you do business, right? And in the past, when I do all the training and just to identify your communication skill, that's also eye opening for a lot of business people or just in general. Because you need to know who you are, you need to be aware of how you communicate. So, let's say if you're like Lydia, you mentioned,、uh, you know, when you communicate, you use a lot of sarcasm, but that's also, you know, just nice things to know. But some people are very direct, like my husband, he's in IT, he loves more detailed things, and I'm more big picture person. And, you know, when we communicate, it's like, why do I need to tell you so many things in details and why you don't understand me? So, that kind of even it doesn't matter, like the cultural difference. But it's personal level that you need to know how you communicate. And so, if you go to Japan, a lot of times maybe、uh, people from US will have a lot of gesture or kind of exaggerate, you know, passionate,、uh, maybe kind of tone down a little bit because in Japan people like to maybe have a bit. More calm conversation and the distance as well. Nowadays, okay, everybody doing social distance, but I, I remember that when I was in London and working with Spanish people, they kind of touch me all the time. You know, not, not you know, like a shoulder or like Japanese people don't like to be touched. So that distance, even standing or like communicating, you know, just little things to, to be aware. Yeah. Though, don't expect that same distance to apply when you're on a train during my show. <laughs> that's true. It's a different、that's, situation entirely. That's so like Uchi and Soto inside Japanese version and outside Japanese version. You will be surprised to see why I thought Japanese people are quite, you know, polite, like having distance. But when you're in this rush hour, people just totally different. You know? Definitely. And it's necessary. You're not going to get very far if you can't push your way onto a train in Tokyo during rush hour. <laughs> exactly. So, just based on your experiences as an instructor and a mentor, what are some qualities that people who find success in cross cultural business after your training, what sets them apart from people who might continue to struggle afterwards? Right. So I would say, I think I kind of、um, repeating myself to, you know, about this、uh, skill is adaptability, you know, like applying how much you can apply that to your real world. Because so many times,、um, you know, as a trainer or instructor, we teach contents, right? Hoping they will understand. But that's just a starting point, giving them, hey, this is it. And how you can do well depends on your action. So, some people who h a s adaptability is okay, I learned that Japanese people will take the relationship more importantly. So, it's like long term relationship. How can I change myself or apply that? You know, for example, you cannot expect the result in the first meeting. That could be it, right? That you, you will just imagine, hey, we had a good meeting, everybody enjoyed it, everybody said, yes, let's do this. 
but it's not, right? So just knowing the knowledge and the next step will be doing it. That's the difference between those who will communicate, you know, better later. Or, well, okay, that was nice to know. Well, but this is my way. For those who are not changing, unfortunately, that's the difference. Either you have that flexibility, open-mindedness to adapt yourself to the different channels or different culture, or not doing. Yeah, so that's the difference. Just something that I'm personally curious about is if you've noticed that this ability to adapt, this quality of adaptability, do you see it as related to anxiety at all, just in your personal experience? For example, if somebody tends to be a little bit more anxious of a person, they might have a harder time changing themselves from what mm. they're used to because they feel yeah. comfortable or changing kind of on the spot just because once things go wrong, their response might be to try to control things to, in mm. the way that makes sense to them. Have you noticed any link between those two things? Obviously, a lot of people, um, you know, have anxiety about like even just talking to foreigners, like, you know, even from the look is already uh, even in Australia. I do sometimes because the area I live is more Caucasian oriented place and I'm being Asian, you know, Japanese looking person. And if they never really seen someone, you know, look like me, they'll go either ignore me or feeling uncomfortable. So that's totally understandable. Even from the look, you feel, oh, you know, I don't know what to talk with them, right? And on top of that, if you don't speak the language or you are trying to speak the foreign language with them, that nervousness will come to you more. But that is why I always suggest to people no one is like can do things in first go like what we were talking about the language as well i never you know i couldn't speak english like this when i moved to uk london so many people friends know how bad my english was and if people listening to this podcast and oh yeah Rie, she must be, you know uh, spend a lot of time or grew up in in english-speaking country or but it's not this skill is what I gained by doing a lot of this. I couldn't do it at the beginning. But so same thing applied to the cultural understanding as well or meeting foreigners. You will find it so nervous and annoying or, oh, I don't know what to do. But the more you meet, the more okay it gets numb, <laughs> you know, like teaching as well. I used to be so shy and I was like, oh, I don't know. I don't know if I can train or speak in front of other people. But, you know, it's really the practice. And that's why I want to encourage people. Don't worry if you think you're nervous or anxious about, you know, talking with people from different countries. The more you do, that's why I want people to go put themselves a more uncomfortable situation the more you do it you get used to it and you feel like actually you know one day it will come like actually it's totally fine like my podcast you know Lydia you've been podcasts you know doing this and you have gained a lot of experience that's why the people listening to your latest one wow that's amazing but I'm sure you know at the beginning it wasn't like this right 
<laughs> yeah, no, definitely not. <laughs> so yeah, the practice will make yeah you better. Mm-hmm. And just being willing to accept that, yes, you will improve, but that does mean that at first you just won't be as good as you could be, but it's part of the process and just yeah, coming to yeah. terms with that is very important. Exactly. Yeah. So can you tell us a little bit about what it looks like to manage people from different cultures, especially if you're trying to manage people from different cultures all oh, yeah. in one team? Mm-hmm. What does that tend to look okay. like? I used to manage uh, different, you know, international team back in London. And for me, the thing as a leader or manager, the the important thing I would like to, you know, um, raise point and wish people understand is that that team, your team, which consists of different culture, is quite difficult to manage already, right? Because let's say if you have really international team, you have someone from India, someone from UK, someone from, you know, Japan, everybody is so different. So the dynamics is amazing, but how you can make them working as a team and also you how you trust them is really important. So just be aware Again, back to the language issue is that everybody would be speaking English because that's the common, you know, language. If you're English native speaker, please don't assume the surface of the conversation. Because like I said, if you're English native people, you say conclusion first or very direct, you can share your opinion. And if you have someone, maybe let's say in Indonesia or Japan, for those people who think, well, whose native language is not English, they're already trying extra compared for those not, you know, native speakers. So just give them that extra, you know, empathy or thoughts about their matching your way or, you know, everybody's universal global team way. And be aware that, or please do not judge based on the amount of thing that you hear, because a lot of high context people's idea or, you know, thinking is unheard, right? So you need to aware of, first of all, understand the the, um, dynamics of your team and build the personal approach even before you kind of work together to build a trust. You want to, as a leader or manager, you need to make sure that your team member is trusting you and let you know if anything happens, you know, problems or, you know, need to kind of quickly respond. They need to trust you enough. So you need to build the trust first with all the team. And that's very crucial. And so do not just consider, oh yeah, they speak good English. Some people can, you know, speak, but if you really truly need to have your team work amazingly, you need to gain the trust. And to do that, you need to show your attitude, empathy, showing that, hey, I'm trying to understand your culture or the way you work and respect. And then that will also, you know, be important topic to share with the team. 
So maybe just if it's really different, you know, balance, like we have lots of uh, English speaking people versus minority, you know, you can match the communication in the team. So tell these、uh, low context people to lower down or, you know, slow down a bit and, you know, just raise the point so that, it, you know, the team member can understand better. I think that's quite important for a manager to do. Try to make some of those implicit things explicit because、mm. if you don't, then the people who are from low context cultures that tend to be more talkative, more direct, more fast, I guess is another way of saying it. Yeah. They will take over the conversation, just not because they mean to, it's just the pace of how things move in those cultures doesn't necessarily match. How they move in the other groups' cultures. So, being aware of that and making your team aware of that could be very important. Yeah. And especially now, you know, we kind of do a lot of Zoom meeting. And imagine that it's even harder to feel how these quiet people thinking. They were just not. Yeah. 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 And then you don't really know how much they understand. So, if you have like a mixed global team in front of you in this Zoom, you just need to be aware hey, so did you understand? Or, you know, you can stop or hold or rephrase. Repeat the English so everybody has kind of clear understanding. And even you ask the question, they wouldn't say, or、well, some people say, hey, yeah, can you can you repeat that? But <laughs> expect Japanese wouldn't be interrupting you <laughs> to ask questions. So in that case, you kind of still need to maybe have one to one, you know, when you finish the big meeting, just try to catch up with these people so then you can have more honest feedback from those high context culture people. Mm-hmm. That definitely makes a lot of sense.、Mm-hmm. So, if you had a client or student who was going to Japan for business, but they didn't have much time to learn anything about the country or its culture ahead of time, what would you teach them or what, you, what would you suggest that they put time into learning before they go? I would say try to learn minimum three words of Japanese. <laughs> And that will kind of break the ice, and you know, that will just impress Japanese. That is a good starting point. Obviously, it's nice to learn how to exchange business cards, and I don't know, even these days, they, they kind of do that thing. But to show you respect the culture will give the tremendous, you know,、um, feeling to. Those who are in Japan and ah, this person's trying to understand my culture, and that will break a lot of ice. And yeah, learn the local language is quite important if you don't have really much time to understand more, you know, things a lot of things behind that. And yeah, listen more and speak slowly. In terms of technical, you know, things that they can do is really like talking about sarcasm. You know,、mm. do not make、uh, jokes that they will just not understand and just keep smiling and laughing. Try not to, you know, lose your face.、Mm-hmm. Yeah.、So. It's such an easy thing to forget is just how much we rely on not only sarcasm, but idioms, phrasal verbs. There are just a lot of things that make English especially difficult. So,、mm. the more that you can be aware of that, I think could go a long way to helping you communicate more clearly、yeah. <laughs> with、Indeed. people speaking their second language. 
So thank you so much for your time today. I just wanted to double check that there wasn't something that we didn't get to talk about, something you wanted to talk about a little bit more while we're still on the call. I think you have covered everything. I hope, and I feel like I have <laughs> shared everything that in my mind. So thank you for this opportunity, Lydia. Great. So what can people do if they want to learn more about you and the work that you do? Um, the easiest way would be find me on LinkedIn and connect with me. And yeah, I'll be happy to connect and discuss and any collaboration I'm happy to do as well. So yeah. thank you very much for having me. Definitely. And you also have a podcast. I'll put yeah. the links to all of that in the description of the episode. So be sure to check that out. But yeah, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. Thank you for your time too. I hope that you enjoyed today's conversation and please be sure to check out the links in the description of this episode to learn more about Rie and all of the awesome work that she is doing in the cross-cultural communication space. If you enjoyed today's episode, go ahead and share it with a friend, colleague, or connection on LinkedIn to help spread the perspectives and information shared in the podcast. And please remember to go ahead and subscribe or follow on whatever platform you are using and also leave a rating and review if you enjoy the podcast. If you would like to support the podcast financially, please check out the link to the new coffee page to keep me well caffeinated and making content. As always, feel free to email me at businesssuccessjapan at gmail.com if you have any other questions, comments, or suggestions for future episodes or interview topics. Also, be sure to reach out if you would like to contribute as a guest on the podcast to share your own cultural insights into doing business in Japan. I'd love to hear from you directly, so if you'd like to leave a voice message, you can find the link to do that in the description as well. But for now, remember that the more you learn, the more confident you will become as you explore all of the opportunities Japan has to offer you. Until next time, mata kondo!